and we we sing these songs and we we again are in awe of the truth that we can we can come to you just as we are and you will receive us you will welcome us you will pardon us you will cleanse us father we know who we believe in tonight there is no doubt and because of what we study tonight, we praise you and worship you. Father, tonight we, we know there's much going on in our world, in our nation, in our city, in our homes. Even in this group, Lord, I know there's things going on that we just need a touch from you. We just need to know that this lesson tonight will will come and meet us right where we need to be met. That's what's so extraordinary about your word. We pray for Karen, especially tonight with her fall and with her knee. Lord, we just commit her to you. May she tonight, even know she wanted to be here, Lord, may she even sense that you are present with her. Lord, for for all of us tonight, Lord, we just welcome you, and we are anxious to hear what you're going to do in each and every one of us, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. This is my Bible. Okay, I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. It's all I need. That's right. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I don't know if I said this before, but this is such an extraordinary book, this book of Ephesians. And um, what I want to have you do, and I'm going to do it too, is that you have your little sheets of 10 questions, but, but if you did them, Weren't they good ones? Did the Lord give me good questions? Because they were really personal and made you really think about what Christ has done for you and what your condition would be if he hadn't. And we need to be reminded of that. So, um, But my, my request to you tonight is that I want to keep you in God's word every day this whole summer. And I'm not going to ask much, but I want to prove to you that if you follow these instructions, you will find that it is life-changing, that your devotions do not have to be complicated. And so many of us have devotionals, and there's nothing wrong with them, but there is nothing like hearing God speak to you every morning. And so here it is, that you will take chapters three and four, and you will read them every day. What a devotion that will be. And I guarantee you, and if you haven't read one and two many, many times, I hope you'll just sneak that in there too. It is, it is a book that um, I, I promise you that it was meant for, well, we're going to start, and I'll, and I'll show you. 
this, this particular book, um, we believe that it was, yes, it was meant for the people of Ephesus. However, we also believe, when I say we, um, the theologians, and that they, they believe that this particular book was, it was distributed to every church. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of look at it that way, that this wasn't just to one church. I mean, they needed it, but it was distributed to every church in the, in the vicinity that Paul started. It, it isn't the kind of book, like some of his letters, that, um, that will kind of gear in on a problem or false teaching that's going around. This particular book, it just, it is, it's fundamental, it's foundational, it's, well, again, let's just start and I will prove it to you. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God. Just quickly, Paul starts by saying, I want you to know that I just didn't wake up one morning after my conversion and say, you know, I'm just going to start this uh, preaching thing. I I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to get beat up on, I'm going to get, I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to be left for dead. He said, no, I want you to know, I did not wake up one morning and decide, oh, I'm just going to do that. He says, I've been called by God. That's important to know because he said, when you're called by God, you have the strength and the power to do whatever it takes. And then he said, to the saints of Ephesus, now, some, some um, versions, some um, old writings do not have the name Ephesians in there. That's what makes people think that it was sent to every church. But maybe to make it more personal, they put in Ephesus. I thought, okay, if you're going to do that, then I can say to the saints in Holland, to the saints in, well, put your own name in, because what are we, the church? We are, each one of us are the church. So whether it's to Ephesus, whether it's to any other church, whether it's to our town, whether it's to each and every one of us personally, Paul said, I want you to hear this. It is so necessary. And then he says, to the faithful. He's not bringing this, this letter to the pagans, to the unbelievers. And I'm going to be saying that many times tonight because we have to see in his instruction and in his, in his proclamation and his words that he is talking to you and I, the faithful. And you know who the faithful are? The ones who are loyal and steadfast, who, who really want a relationship with Jesus, who are really making this a priority and who are legitimate and 
He's saying, I am writing to you. You need this. So you and I, we have to hear these words because Paul is talking to us and he says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. Probably two words Paul just got so acquainted with after his conversion. You remember how when Paul, um, he was, when he was confronted with Jesus, and then he had that time period where he changed his whole ministry from that spit and polished religious Pharisee kind of ministry to I'm preaching Jesus and him crucified. Oh, he himself said, you know, here he is, you know, being taught by the best and going to the best schools, and, and he is probably highest on the totem pole religious-wise, and yet he says, I'm the least. Because he understood the word grace, and he uses it so often. He knows he's undeserved of all of this. And he says, when you do understand grace in your life, then you see that what happens is you have a life of peace because all is well. Grace just changes everything. I have two grandchildren who played in church yesterday. One sang and one played the drums. Couldn't be there, so I watched it online in the afternoon, and oh, so proud of them. And they sang, and they played a song, and if you've ever heard this song, it's, you're my living hope. Such a good song. I watched my granddaughter sing it with such meaning, and I saw my grandson just banging those drums, and I wrote them both. I wrote them, and I said, I just want you to know that every day I pray for you, and I want so many things for you. I have a tendency to say, Lord, I just want them to do good in school and at college, and I want them to, um, I want them to um, be safe, and I want them to keep a level head. That 17-year-old boy, I want him to keep a level head. And, you know, you just, you just have all these things that you pray for your grandchildren. And it's that I pray for you. Every day, the thing is, when I saw and I heard you with this song, Living Hope, and I saw the way you did it, I thought, they have all they need. When they know Jesus, when they, when they are committing their life to Jesus, I know they're on the right track. Now, this, I want you to picture that because this is where you want your children, your grandchildren, all everybody, friends, relatives, even your enemies. You really do want them to know Christ. You want them to experience this grace. You want them to be able to live a life of peace. And it seems impossible in today's world. But Paul says, no, I want you. I want you to be able to see that you, the faithful, you can live like this every day. But you're going to have to work at it. And this is what he's going to remind us. But in the, before he does that, he says, okay, now, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with 
every spiritual blessing in Christ. We get so caught up in thinking that we need and we want and our, our, when we look at the people we love and we have a tendency to want to pray that, that life will be easier for them and that, the, you know, it's just natural. And Paul says, no, you know what? All praise goes to him because this is what matters. Praise to him because he has blessed you and me, the faithful, with every, every space. He holds nothing back when he uses the word every. And, and this, is, this is what you find when you read it every day. You will see a different word will come out that you didn't even see the day before. He says every spiritual blessing you get, and he, he makes sure that we see that the blessings that come from heaven itself, when it comes right straight from the throne of God, when there's no other way we could have this blessing, no one else could give it. The world certainly can't give it. I will hold nothing back from you. It's pretty much we hear Paul saying, God says, I'm not going to hold anything back from, from you. I will bless you. And it has nothing to do with the blessings we look at when we, on, on Thanksgiving, when we count our blessings, you know, for, for health and, and wealth and for family and friends and the turkey. And, you know, we go on and on, oh, all these blessings. But tonight I had you sing, count your many blessings Count them and see. Paul wants us to count the blessings that he gives us, the blessings only he can give us. They don't hold a candle to what, what the blessings of the world are. They're so far beyond. He says, look at, for he chose us. And in the questions, I ask you, look, look at, let's name, name why. Name the reasons why Paul wants you and I to just Bust out in praise. And praise is not just what we did when we just sang these songs. Oh, that's part of it. But praise is so many dimensions. Praise is when we surrender. We know, we know the Lord loves our praise. And so what does, does, do we need to sing all the time for, to put a smile on his face? No, we, we praise him. In the way we live, the way we handle difficult times, the way we surrender and trust his will and his plan for us, that is praise to him. So here he says, look at what I've given you. And it comes straight from me. And I have chosen you. I have chosen. He's chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us. That was another question I wanted you to think about. What does that mean that he chose you? I wrote on my paper, he picked me. I understand that because have you ever stood against a school wall and you waited to be picked and how glorious it feels when, when someone says your name and picks you and you know they want you. 
and you probably have been there and been at the opposite end and how terrible and rejected you feel when they don't pick you. So he says, look, the number one blessing is that he chose you. He picked you. He picked me. And who does he pick? And I dare say he picks everybody because he doesn't pick favorites. And, and the reason I say that is the simple verse of John 3, 16. And it, it, it's broken into two parts. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. He was willing to give. And the second part shows that it's our responsibility. And whosoever, whoever believes, whoever believes and receives what he has given, the result is, the reward is eternal life. So he chose us, he picked us, he gave us, it, and it says he also predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus. And predestined means he decided, he decreed. He desires that every one of us, because it's not his will, that there be anyone that perishes. So he predestined, when he came up with a plan, because really, you know, Paul is trying to say, we have to praise him, he chose us. And really, the reason he chose us is simply because of grace. It's so undeserved, but he did. He, pre he chose us, he predestined, he desired for, for us to receive the whosoever believes. He, want every, he wants everyone of us to believe. His whole goal, desire, is that we become holy and blameless. And you think, oh, no, 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 that can't possibly be me. I, I still sin. Of course we do. But the beautiful part of that whole thing is that, that even though we sin, it should be something that we see less and less in our life because we know that as we get to know the Lord better, we know what hurts him, and we don't want to hurt him after all what he's done for us. So, But we do still sin. And yet, tonight, when we went to prayer, when we, we, we were, I, I helped all of us, all of us went into his presence tonight. And Paul is saying, did you, when was the last time you thought about that? That the only reason you could get into God's presence tonight is because he looks at you as holy and blameless. And when you're saying, whoa, that's not me. No, he, you might not think you are, but he sees you through the blood of his son. And that was, that was what he intends. That was his plan. That's what he predestined. That we have that ability and we have that opportunity because he has made us holy and blameless through Christ in Christ alone. And look at it, it says, in accordance to his pleasure and will. That struck me this time like never before because I thought he took pleasure 
in making a way to buy us back. And what was the plan? What was the only way that would do it? And that was sending his only son. That had to be painful. That had to be probably the worst thing when he saw his son suffer and he had to turn his back on him. So the experience was not pleasurable, and yet it says right here, according to his pleasure, he knew that by doing that, he took pleasure in the results, is that we would have an opportunity to be brought back into that relationship with him that would have been impossible otherwise. He took pleasure in the results. It was his will. Then he says, it's like Paul says, when was the last time, I know that's basic gospel 101, but when was the last time you faithful? You really thought about that. That's why this can be the best devotional to start your day. Because it's like you can almost hear yourself, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I totally let that slip my mind. I, I just kind of took it for granted. And Paul is saying, come on, faithful. This will make your day. This will change your whole attitude, your relationships with people, the way you handle difficulties today. Everything will stem on you remembering that it's because of grace that God took pleasure in sending his son so that he could have this relationship with us. And Paul is like, he says, that's, that's worthy of some more praise. He says, to the first six, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one, capital O, one, the one he loves. So Paul's saying he loved his son, but he was willing to, to allow him to do that for you and me. Paul says, when was the last time you thought about that? That's really quite remarkable. That's life-changing. He says, in him, in Jesus, in, in what he did, we now have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He says that word grace and he uses the word lavish. He doesn't hold back. He is not a bit stingy with his grace, his undeserved favor. And what does he lavish us with? With wisdom and understanding. Did you notice what we have here? We have God the Father. We have God the Son. And we have God the Holy Spirit who is purpose and his job is to 
help us understand these beautiful words and to give us this wisdom and understanding and I dare say comprehension. He made known to us. He made known to us. It's like Paul says, I'm going to go on. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. What would mystery he made known to us? It's like now the mystery is solved. He wants you and I, and, and who, who's got the mystery solved? The faithful. The people who are loyal and steadfast and determined to make Jesus the Lord of their life, they are going to understand the mystery. It's like this, this, whole, this whole mystery is actually salvation. It's the gospel. It, it makes no sense to the person who doesn't know this at all. It's a mystery. It's a mystery of how you can still smile in the middle of pain. You can have joy. You can have trust in a God who is up to something, even though it makes no sense at all. When people are watching that in you and me, it is one big mystery to them. How can they even possibly live like that? But to you and I, because the mystery has been solved, it's because we can do that because of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he takes pleasure. God takes pleasure. All three persons take pleasure that we now have the mystery solved. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I think what Paul is trying to say here is that, that God never intended for this to be so complicated. He intended for all of us to come together under one, under one, and his name is Jesus. And how he, he purposed that. He purposed to bring all things in heaven and on earth. His plan is that, he, that we all come together in one purpose. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. We were chosen. We were predestined. He uses those two words again. His plan was again to conform everything under his purpose, under his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. I mean, Paul, when he's writing to a bunch of Gentiles here, 
they know, they know him. They know that when he came to them for the first time, they knew he was a Jew, and yet he was willing to bring this gospel message to them. And what he was saying to them is that, yes, it was brought to the Jews first. But look at verse 13. And you also. And verse 13 is a verse I believe is worth memorizing. And if that freaks you out, it's just, just take it apart. And, and you, you need to know this because not only do you need to know it for you, but you need to know it because someone is going to ask you. If you're living the way Christ wants you to live, there's somebody that's going to walk up to you and say, I want what you have. What is it that makes you the way you are? How can you have such a confidence in chaos? How can you, how can you have this, this peace in the middle of calamities? How can you watch all what's going on and say, God's still on the throne and he's up to something? How can you say that you know that in all things it will turn out for good to those who love him? How can how can you how can you live like that? And then this verse 13 is the verse that you and I need because this is the answer. You you want what I have? Then here's what this is what has to happen. You need to be included in Christ. That means you need to belong to him. He later, Paul uses the word, you need to be a part of this household. But here he says, you want to, you want to be included in Christ? Well, this is what it takes. First of all, you need to hear this gospel. You need to hear the story and when he says, you need to hear, he's not talking just about hearing with these physical ears. He says, you got to want to hear. you got to desire to want to know. This is a big question you're asking me. It's a big question when someone says, I want what you have. How do I get what you have? I want, I want this kind of security. I want to know about my future. Then you and I, we say, you've you got to be included in Christ. And that means you hear, you hear, you desire to want to do what's necessary. And that is, again, John 3, 16. He did his part. you got to desire to be one of the whosoever. you got to hear this gospel. you got to know that it was a, a gospel that was, was written it was, it was made for you, just like you were the only one. When he died on that cross, you were on his mind. You got to want to know that. You're included in Christ when you hear this gospel because you want it bad. 
And then the second part is you believe it. You hear it because you want to hear it. There's so many people who are hearing this beautiful message week after week, and it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And, and, oh, yeah, we know, we know. We've heard this a million times. And, you know, they hear it, but yet they don't. When you hear it and then want to believe it, he said, then, then this is what happens. See, that's when things start really working. When you take that humbling walk to Calvary. And, and again, I'm not a bit ashamed to, to say these words every week if I have to. Because maybe there's somebody who has never really heard it and oh they've heard the words plenty of times i've said it a million times but maybe you've never really heard it heard it because it's a necessary thing that every one of us needs to have that comprehension that you know what i'm nothing and i'm lost i i have the opportunity to come to the cross and i can accept a savior who can change everything. I believe that. And then he says, look, look at he says, and then you are marked. You're marked in him. You're sealed. You are sealed. What, what, good, what good words to use? You're marked. It's just like all of a sudden he, he's just put this mark on you that, that, you are now his, and then, and then you're sealed. That, that is such a secure word. You are sealed. There isn't anyone or anything that can take this away from you. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And you know what? He does that. Look how quick he does that. When you have a desire to hear the truth about yourself, and then you realize and you believe that he's the, Jesus is the only one that can change that, and you believe in him. That quick, he instills and marks us and seals us with his Holy Spirit because he knows we can't make one second move without help. So we're now sealed with his spirit who now lives inside. And then it is a guarantee. We all get that word. We all love to read the fine print and say that, you know, we have a chance to take it back. It's guaranteed for so many days. And if it breaks, we can take it back. I mean, we love guarantees. And here he uses that word that we understand so in the, in the world sense. And he says, yeah, I, I mark you with this guarantee that no one can touch you because you're mine. You are, you are being guaranteed a future, an inheritance you haven't even begun to know all what I have for you. See, Paul, remember, he's talking to the faithful. And he's saying, when's the last time you really thought about this? 
Because if you really did think about it, it would change the course of your whole day. You really have everything you need in Christ Jesus. You really do. I know I am learning that more day by day. And that's why when I looked at my kids, I thought, no, I can, I can eliminate so much. I don't have to ask for a lot of stuff for them. I don't even have to ask for an easy life for them. All I want for them is that they know their living hope. Capital L, capital H. His name is Jesus. People that you love so much more than your own life, what do you want for them is that they know their living hope. And to think that that all it takes in verse 13 is to desire to be included. You choose to believe you heard this gracious, gracious, grace-filled story, and you realize it can be yours. And you take it and you believe it. And that second, you are marked, you are sealed. And you are given everything that you need to live. John 10, 10, I came so you can have life abundant and full, content, satisfied, no matter what's going on in the world no matter what's going on in your own personal life. John wrote it so beautiful to us in the Revelation. Paul writes it so beautiful, saying, come on, faithful. You loyal, steadfast, you have got to keep remembering this, and then you will find that you do have everything you need. And then again, he breaks into praise again. Look at when it's like I, I can picture Paul writing this letter to all the churches, maybe not even realizing that we were going to be standing here in Holland in this church, and he, he had no idea how the Lord was going to use it. But I think the more he wrote and the more he comprehended it for his own life. It just made him want to praise. Praise means you acknowledge who your God is, and there is none other. And I, I, I would like you to try, and you'll find it's impossible. It's impossible to sing that song that we sang tonight. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. Endless days I will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, my God. I would like to see you try to sing that and stay in yourself pity and wallow in yourself and in your predicaments and in your circumstances and in your hopelessness. It's impossible. 
So Paul said, come on, faithful. You have such a gift. You have, you've been blessed from the heavenlies. You've been chosen. You've been predestined. You've been given everything that is worth anything at all. You've been given everything that you need. Are you living like it? It is causing Paul, I saw it now three times, that he just busts into praise. And then he says, for this reason, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers he is pretty much saying that if you have experienced those 14 verses and you are living those 14 verses out, he's saying, do you, do you realize it's noticeable? He's saying, I heard, you know, he says, I hear about your faith. Some people are telling me how, how you are living this out. You didn't just take it and just are sitting on it. You are living it out, and it's noticeable because of what you're doing. And this, oh, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Paul could not be more pleased when he hears that the believer, the faithful, are living it out into their world, their little part of the world, and it's making a difference. It's being noticed. But then look at in verse 17. He comes right back and says, you know, not only, you know, you can see that he's so happy and thrilled, and he's, he's just filled with joy overflowing, but he comes back in verse 17, and he knows because... If we're not careful, if we don't keep working at it, you're not going to stay in that condition. Self is too powerful. And it, it just so, it, it is something that, that we are just gravitated to. And, and so Paul is trying to say here, I keep asking. I mean, I just love what I'm hearing. I couldn't be more thrilled. So now I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I, I would just love for, I mean, so that you may know him even better. Because sometimes you and I think, well, God, goodness, I've been, I've been in Bible study so many years, and, you know, I've gone through the Ephesians so many times, and I think I know this. And no, he's saying, I keep asking that the Spirit, capital S, will keep revealing more wisdom to you so you'll keep knowing him even better than you do now because it's endless and there's so much more for you to discover. 
Look at verse 18. I pray also, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's quite a phrase there, that the eyes of your heart. Did you ever think he's saying faithful? Did you ever think that your, your heart has eyes? I'm praying, I'm praying that I keep asking and I keep praying that the eyes of your heart keep being enlightened. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives your heart extraordinary eyes and ears that are even far better than the physical. He says, I pray that your heart may keep being enlightened so that you will know that you're not, you're not unsure that but that you know that there's no doubt you know about the hope. You don't have to live in a hopelessness. And it's so easy to fall into that because that's what you hear day in and day out. And that's why if we're not hearing this message over and over, we're going to start buying into the message of the world, telling us that it all is hopeless. When here, Paul is saying to the faithful, he's saying, remember, the Holy Spirit wants to keep revealing more and more to you so that you know him better and it will get you more confident and you will be able to understand the hope that you are living in. There's always hope with Jesus. There's always hope. There's no such thing as hopeless. There's, there's always a chance that he can turn the impossible into possibilities. He, he is the author of hope. And he says, this hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That's a mouthful. He not only, that, that's what the Holy Spirit's eyes and ears and our heart. And see, it's so important that, that this heart is enlightened with, with the Spirit's eyes and ears because everything filters through our heart. Everything filters through. And, you know, we have to remember that when we make decisions, when we make choices, every thought, it all comes through the heart. And so it makes a big difference that when we know that, that the heart needs to be enlightened with his wisdom and his revelation, that's what's going to make a difference in our thoughts, in our decisions, our choices, our actions, the way we deal with difficulties, the way we deal with difficult people, the way we watch the news the way we deal with gas prices. I mean, you know, you're just hearing so much negativity and hopelessness. And Paul says, faithful, faithful. Keep going over this and realize 
what kind of power you are having, how, what power you have inside of you. Look at, not only can you live in the hope in which he has called you, and he, you have riches, you have riches, not, not money riches, but in his glorious inheritance in the saints. See, rich in the Lord's eyes takes on a whole different kind of meaning than the world's definition. He said, you can have hope, you can have riches in his glorious inheritance and his incomparable great power. That power is like, now this, I mean, I know we've heard this many times, but look at that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You've heard this phrase, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within us. Oh, man, that just, we can just spit that out. Man, that just flows off our lips. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living within us. Well, then how come we're living so defeated and discouraged and down and fearful? Paul is saying, come on, faithful. Do you realize the power, the power his power that lies within you, and you know, we're going to see this verse later of next week, in fact. That, that this power that, well, it compares with nothing else, and it is at work. It's over and above, and it's at work in us. And I started thinking about that. I think, oh, if I utilize that power, I can tell this story, this gospel story to someone, and I can watch, like, let's say, let's say, he can take a drunk and make him sober. He can take an unbeliever and make him a believer. He can take any weakness that we all have. We all have a weakness. And he can raise us above that weakness. He can take a a self-righteous religious person who thinks they know everything, and he can humble them to a pulp like he did Paul. He can take someone like you and me and he can give us all this. He can reveal the mystery and he can give us all this. He can change me. He can take that pitiful person who lived to please others and her whole life was based on what she could do, what others thought, and what a terrible way to live and he can free her from that that's power and the thing is he can do that in every one of us with the thing that seems to want to overtake us and he's saying 
I know you love Jesus. I know you've been to the cross. You're one of my faithful, but you're still battling this. Come on, faithful. Realize the power that is within you and what it can do. He says in verse 21, well, verse 20, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. God the Father placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over Everything for the church, everything above for us. He is above everything for you and me, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That about settles it. He put Jesus in over us, and that took care of everything for us. Come on, faithful. Don't you realize, he says, don't you realize that you have Jesus taking care of everything for you. What a first chapter. And I love the way Paul starts with that. I mean, you can just, I, I said this morning, it's kind of one of those peel me off the ceiling kind of chapters. Then Paul comes back in the second chapter and, you know, and he kind of, he kind of lowers the boom and he needs to do that. It's like he comes back and says, but faithful don't ever, ever forget where you came from. As for you, and he's saying you, and I know that many of us, you know, we, we've, you know, been raised in the church, and, you know, we, we haven't really done anything that severe, we don't think, but he, it's just like this chapter, Paul just, he just says, um, I'm going to level with you. You. You were once dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, little as spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He is leveling with us. He says, let me just tell you that, you know, you, you, there's no middle. You're either following the Lord or... Before you chose to follow him, you were following yourself, which just as well says you were following the devil. And we don't like to think that that is at all what we were doing. But when you get to that age of accountability, you and I, we have a choice to make. Okay, who's it going to be? Who am I going to follow? Because we're going to follow someone, and it's either ourself or it's the Lord. And if you're following yourself, I repeat, you are following the devil. That's what he says here. Verse 3, if you need any clarification, that first word, I, I underlined it, I circled it all. That, that means 
every one of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. This is the way we looked before Jesus. And, and you know, just to clarify, in case you don't know what, what dead in your transgressions really looks like, <laughs> I have a few other words that these um, chapters have kind of said, you're an unbeliever, you're unsaved, you are blind, you're a slave to sin, you're a lover of darkness, you're sick, you're lost, you're a child of wrath, you're separated from God. <laughs> That's what you and I were dead in our transgressions, and Paul says, I'm faithful. The only way you are going to stay faithful. And I think this is why, remember when we did the revelation and we said how, how the only scars in heaven will be on Jesus, his hands and his feet. It will, it will be the only scars because it's a constant reminder that we are there only because of him and his sacrifice. When we were, when we were talking about what John said, I saw this 200-foot, you know, gate, you know, these, these 12 gates, you know, four from each direction, and or three from each direction, and he said, and these, these gates were all made out of one pearl. So 200 feet thick gates were made out of one pearl. When we're, when we're going between the new heaven and the new earth, we need to always be reminded of how we got there. The suffering of Christ as we go through those gates. And so Paul says, I'm faithful. Don't ever stop remembering. So when you start learning and knowing and, and you're getting this, and, and you'll, it's so easy, it's so sneaky to then start thinking, well, I'm kind of good at this. And you forget the word cling. You forget that I, we got to keep asking that the Spirit keeps filling us with wisdom and revelation so we can keep knowing him better and better and so the, our heart can be more and more enlightened. He said, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Boy, that's a pretty ugly picture, isn't it? We don't like to see that of ourselves. No, not one of us. And I think it's hard for a lot of us to think that that's the way he saw us. And so verse 4, that, that next word, but, instead of leaving us like that, but because of his great love for us. That's all of us. It's all of us. He looked at us pitiful sinners who made the wrong choice and deserved nothing 
less than hell itself. And instead, because of his great love for us, he's rich in mercy. Instead of letting us experience eternal death, he made us alive with Christ. That is quite a flip. We've been made alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you and I have been saved. Faithful. He's saying, when was the last time you really thought about that? And if he hadn't done that, if he didn't have his great love, look where you had been. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Boy, that's quite a flip, too, from what we deserved. And, and instead, we can experience being seated with him in the heavenly realms. In order that in the coming ages... He might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Don't you love this wording here? I mean, there's just, Paul is, I think he's struggling to find, there's just, he's saying, I'm, I'm having such a hard time to describe the riches of his grace. And the Spirit gave him that word, incomparable. I think that's a dandy one. incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then verse 8, we have all known and probably memorized that verse, for it is by grace you and I have been saved through faith, and this not from ourselves. It is a gift Faithful, it's, it's like that word kept coming out. It's like I could hear Paul saying, faithful, when was the last time that you really looked at that verse and not just quoted it because you know it, but that you realize that it is such a gift. It's by grace you've been saved. It's not by works so that any of you can boast about it. I think, you know, I think the the closer I get in knowing the Lord, the more humble I get. You know, instead, it used to be, you know, I remember, and I've told this story before, you know, when I started Bible study fellowship and they asked, you know, how well do you know God's word? You know, the only thing that kept me from checking excellent was I didn't want to brag. Because I really was that naive, thinking that I knew, and that, you know, perhaps I know that's quite good. And what a difference, once I did get into God's Word, once I did start studying, the more I got to know Him in such a real way, the more humble I get, because I'm, uh, it's like Paul. I mean, can my middle name be Grace, too? Because it's just by grace that I've been saved. There isn't anything I could have done. There is no song I could have sung that that would have done it. 
I mean, you know, when you think back at some of the things that we tried to use to try to, you know, um, impress them or whatever. It seems like now everything I do, it just seems to be such a humbling experience. Because I'm getting to know how big he is and how gracious he is and how it is by that grace that I can be saved And I'm one of the faithful. But these two chapters, you see, the more you go over this and the more you realize and the more you live your day, you start your day with this and you, what a difference it's going to make. He says, now in verse 10 though, for we are God's workmanship. So he says, now before you think that, okay, it's not, it's not works that saves you. Okay, you get that. Okay, so don't just, you know, throw good works out with bathwater here. You still need good works. It's just that you got to make sure you've got it in the right order. Because he says, for we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ to do good works. The good works come. And again, I dare you try to say, I am so grateful for what he's done for me. I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to do nothing back for him. If you really, and and that's why Paul, into the Romans, you know, he, he says, you know, the more that you comprehend his grace, the more you want to give yourself back to him as a living sacrifice. That's the ultimate praise to him. So he said, no, you, you want to be able to, you now realize your life is not your own. It, it's been bought, it's been paid for, and you now belong to him. And so, and because you'll see your condition before and realize what it could have been if he hadn't done what he did, the more you start comprehending that incomparable grace, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to want to serve. You're going to want some way to, to give back, and you're going to start to see the gifts that he's given you to do just that. Therefore, okay, remember, He says that word a couple of times in these next couple verses. Remember, and this this remember is, I think this is the sucker punch below the belt. I think this is where Paul really is saying to these Gentiles, because let me tell you, there, there was no greater divide than between a Jew and a Gentile. Those two, I mean, Jews thought they were, you know, well, they were God's people, of course, but they, they just detested the Gentiles because they didn't obey the law. And, and in fact, they detested them so much that even some of the Jews that married um, another a pagan, they became Samaritans. And you know the story that they... The Jews would, would go the extra mile around Samaria just because they wouldn't have to associate with them. So, I mean, you can't get a better 
um, you know, description or uh, an example because there was no greater divide than a Jew and a Gentile. And so Paul comes, comes back and says, because, you know, he didn't make mention it before, that the gospel first came to the Jew. But then in verse 13 in chapter 1, he says, but now you're included in Christ if you follow these principles. You know, so he opened the door wide open. And so, but here in the second chapter, when he's saying, I got to get you to keep remembering from where you came, he's saying, Remember that formerly you were Gentiles. You were Gentiles by birth. You were called uncircumcised. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Yet foreigners to the covenant and the promises. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. I mean, you were a hopeless mess. That's what I mean about, this was a real sucker punch, I think, below the belt. I mean, you know, he's saying, but I want you to see, faithful, I want you to see. Verse 13, after all that, after seeing yourself the way it really truly was, but now in Christ, you who were once far away, they couldn't have been farther away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's, you talk about a mystery. <laughs> you talk about um, the impossible. Bringing Jew and Gentile together. For he himself is, for he, he is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And how did he do that? By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. See, that was the Jews' big beef. They, the, those Gentiles, they don't the law and Jesus said well, I'll just take care of that I'll fulfill the whole thing his purpose by doing what Jesus purpose was by doing what he did was to create in himself one new man out of the two thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. But that's another mouthful. But you know what? <laughs> that is the answer to our world today. The thing is, if, if somebody would just simply ask you or me, <laughs> I mean, they... It is the answer to all division. It's the answer to all hostility. It's the answer to all these walls and these barriers. And it's, it's the answer to our world's need. I mean, it, to me, it's, I think, you know, our government is so complicated and they hire in all these smarty pants and they're all trying to figure out what to do. And I'm thinking all you have to do is go to Ephesians 2. 
all you have to do is come to the cross because it says if he can if he can bring Jew and Gentile together, he can bring black and white together. He can he can take every divide and bring it together under one head. That's remember he said that that's his purpose. Why are we in the mess we're in? Why are we in such a divided hatred society? It's because they're not in Ephesians 2. And unless you find your peace and your in in Jesus, if you you will not know, you will not know peace. You will not experience peace. You can talk peace, you can want peace, and you can think you can bring peace if you do this or that. Oh, no, he says, it's only through Jesus that, that peace, real peace can be brought and unity can happen. He came and he preached peace, Jesus did, and to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He preached the same message to the Jew and to the Gentile. Because like we always say, guess what the ground is? It's level at Calvary. <laughs> we all have to come the same way. He brought peace. He preached the message of the gospel to all who were far, who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. Verse 19, consequently... Consequently, Gentiles, consequently faithful, you are no longer a foreigner. You are no longer an alien. You are no longer all those names, dogs, worthless. Instead, you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, what a, what a word picture there. What a beautiful way to say it. I mean, we can picture that. We, you're, you're no longer all those yucky names. No, you are now built on the same foundation with the apostles and with the prophets. And you've heard the same message of Christ. He's the chief cornerstone who builds us all in, on one foundation. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? See, there would be no divide. There would, there would be nothing like that going on in the world. When we raise our Bibles and we say, this is God's word and every word is true and it's all that we need. I mean, it, I don't know, it seems like the longer I'm doing this, the more intense it seems like I'm getting because what people need the most is what they're ignoring the most. I heard a phrase this week that said, people don't go to the Bible because they're going to hear the truth, you know, and it's easier to stay away from it than it is to be confronted with the truth. 
it's much easier to, to hear nice little stories. In fact, I'm going to tell you something that I heard this, this week from a person that I love, and, and I know she meant well, but she's going through a difficult time in her life, like seems like everybody is. And she was telling me, she said, oh, I'm so glad I belonged to a good Bible study. And I thought, oh, wonderful. She says, you know, we have such a good leader who is so compassionate and and and. Last week in our Bible study, she kept in our in our Bible study, um, she just cared so much about all what was happening to us that we never got to the lesson. And she thought that was a good thing. And I'm thinking, that's why people would much rather, it's so much less convicting. To just hear the problems and love on people. I mean, and we're supposed to. I get that. And, and I hope that, again, it's one of the good works that come from loving Jesus. Then we love others. I, I know that. But if we don't buckle down and get into the solution to all these problems, we're going to just stay stuck in our problems. But you know, people don't want that. That's what's, that's what's concerning to me. But then I look at you and I think, oh, thank you, Lord, because you said that there would be few that would find it. And tonight, aren't you grateful? I know I am that I am one of the few I and I'm willing, aren't you, to put in the time. I'm willing to desire to hear it and to believe it and to let the Holy Spirit change me so that I can then go out and live this because we have a world that doesn't want to go to the answer because they're going to have to be exposed for what they are because that's just the way it works with Jesus. Last verse, and in him and in Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Heavenly Father, there's just no better words to end with, to be able to know this is why Paul in these first two chapters, one chapter is that this would be the best devotional to read every day if we really wanted a day that we could say is abundant and is for you as we are reminded of what Christ has done and where we came from and where we would be if it hadn't been for what he had done. Father, thank you for making it so clear. Thank you, Jesus, for being that cornerstone that we can build our lives on. That we can know that, that there is no, no division in Christ Jesus. But yet we come to the cross and you reveal our sin to us and you expect some changes. You expect us to be obedient. 
your word never changes, and we cannot get lax in that. We cannot get wishy-washy. We can't get tolerant. We have to stay bold in your word. And yes, we can still have the love, the fruit of the spirit gushing from every pore of our body. And yet stand on your principles and obey them. You so loved us. May in gratitude we offer ourselves back to you. That means willing to do what you say. Follow the rules. Don't give in to ourself and what we want. Father, help us to grow in intensity. Time's running out. Father, may we know our living hope. Because in him, in him, we have it all. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.